you, you kind of set aside students because you think, well, they're going to ruin society when they get older, you know, this generation. And there's kids in schools today that want to save lives. Um, and that's astounding because yeah. I'm guessing you never would have expected something like that. Not that deep. No, nope. right. I didn't know. I didn't. When I did this project, I didn't know what to expect. About 85% of the kids really took it to heart. And some, like I said, another answer we had, um, what do you want to do before you die? Go a day without wanting to die. And um, that's tough. In this episode of The Rural Entrepreneur's Gold, you're going to meet Mitch Reed, a high school superintendent who saw something kind of cool walking down Main Street in a small town in South Dakota. He decided he was going to make it into a school project for his sociology class. Little did he know how impactful this project would be. So much so that he decided to make it into a book and it added a whole other dimension to his career as a leader in the education field because now he's also a national public speaker. The impressive pieces of gold that you'll find here in this podcast and in his book, The Cardboard Confessionals, are both really worth your time and a great investment in you. I'm Christy McKinnon, your host of this podcast, sharing stories that prove in each episode that you don't have to move to a big city to find success. You can find it right where you are. Welcome to the Gold Miners. We're just going to get right into it here. We have with us Mitch Reed from Florence School District, who actually serves as a high school superintendent, but was also teaching sociology. And he was interested in getting to know the students of his school better. And he thought, what better place to get that done than in a sociology class? So as a class and as the teacher of this class, he put together some pretty thought-provoking questions, and they put a cardboard box together and had the students write their answers anonymously and submit them through the box. And it was such a success, and the answers were so phenomenally intriguing and inspiring. He produced a book out of the deal called Cardboard Confessionals. And I'm excited to have him here. I am thrilled to hear your story of how you did this, why you did this, and how this helped you as a superintendent and how it can help us as individuals in the outside world. Welcome to the gold miners. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, I appreciate it. Kind of did some looking into what you're doing, what you're trying to set out to do. And I think it's really cool. I think getting people together for the common cause of what you guys are trying to do, self-help, better help yourself, I think is really important. I think a lot of times we get on islands and it's tough to tough to get down from those and, and to really have these conversations where we realize that we're not the only ones going through a lot of this stuff. So thanks for bringing me on to this and thank you for opening my eyes to, to different groups that I can even use because sometimes it's a lot easier said than done. I was a little leery. Uh, when I first got the email, because it said I was going to be the guest speaker on Wisdom Wednesday. Wisdom is not a word that associates well with me. So I appreciate that. I'm going to use it very lightly in this Wednesday, more so than a lot of Wednesdays that you have, but thanks for having me. Yeah, cardboard confessionals. I, I go out and I've spoke to a lot of groups, uh, about 200 in the last four years, 200 in about, yeah, four, four and a half years, something like that. I've been Which all is- over the mid. That's pretty impressive considering for a good year plus, nobody was really speaking. So yes, a lot of Zoom calls. I did about 30 of them. Okay. And that was kind of cool. I got the opportunity to speak to groups all over the place. I spoke to a group in Pittsburgh, one in Salt Lake City. I got the opportunity to go out to Las uh, Las Vegas this summer and speak. So yeah, it's been cool. This this project really allowed me to meet a lot of good people. Um, it's like people, it's taken on a life of its own. It really has, and it's it's good. You know, I got to kind of take a step back too because there's times where it's kind of taken away from my job. Uh, I'm very passionate about what I do. Uh, my family, and it wasn't until I wrote the book that I really realized how offline my priorities were. It was success I was achieving. And yeah, don't get me wrong. I still I still like that. I still like to to push myself, but I don't put my family in the way of that like I used to. And it's not until you write a book. Uh, how, how many of you have, have wrote a book, thought about writing a book, a blog, a journal? 
Any of you? Yes, good. Do it. Do it. Don't claim to be. What she showed earlier was actually, uh, Christy, what she showed earlier was actually a doorstop. It's not a book. It's a doorstop. That's why I made it hardcover. You can do a lot of different things with it. Uh, mashes patties in. They do these smash burgers. It really <laughs> works well for that. So I'm not a writer. I'm not much of a reader either. I don't tell my kids that. But it gave me an opportunity to take a step back and uh, really look at my priorities in my life. Because a lot of people, when I got done writing it, they, they reached out and they said, how in the world did you find time to write this book? And they're not wrong. They're not wrong. I was a uh, principal of a high school as a head basketball coach in Waverly, where I was, I was teaching some classes as well, going back to be a superintendent. I was a new father, new dad, had a new baby at home, and I was a husband. The verdict stalled on how I was doing as a husband. But um, yeah, I had a lot of things going on and I found time to write a book. And here's why it was important to me. It was very, very important to me. So I found time. We'd put our daughter to bed and I'd spend an hour and a half to two hours every night before falling asleep, writing this book. You said, do the, say that again? Uh, about, I, you know, I'd put uh, our daughter to bed in about hour, hour and a half every night I would write. And how long did it take you then? About two months is all. That's yeah, impressive. It, yeah. You just, you get focused and you just lock in and, and you do it. And, so um, when you started writing, were you writing to write a book or were you writing a journal on what you were experiencing? Yeah. Interesting. You should say that I was writing to write a book when I was doing the project, uh, a kid, and I'll explain that the project and the process a little later on. But when I started writing um, this, or when I was in class doing this, I, about the third day of this project, I told these students said, Hey, you could write a, a book on this stuff. This is unbelievable. They said, no, you couldn't. I said, yeah, no, you, you really could. No, you couldn't. I said, I'll write one then. And tried, <laughs> to prove them, tried to prove them wrong. So, I love that. Yeah. You know, and, and when you have a class that you're trying to teach students, right, you're trying to give them material to go off and be able to use that. Any teachers that are, are here or going to listen to this, will realize and they'll understand and appreciate that when you're you're teaching a class, the best class periods are when the students are teaching you more than you're teaching the students. Right. That's when true learning goes on. And that's actually in anything in life. When you have a conversation with someone and you're you're like not trying to to overpower the conversation when you're just soaking it in, those are the best conversations. But you know, going back to the time and, and the way we spend our time, we kind of look at it and people ask. And I remember speaking a little while ago and this guy comes up and he's, and I said, what's important to you? Cause I'll usually ask that to kind of gauge interest. And he said, well, God, religion, faith, it's, it really drives me. I said, that's fantastic. That's a really good thing in your corner to lead with. I said, when's the last time you went to church? He said, well, three months ago, it's not important to you. I think we as a society really have a problem with saying what's important to us, but it doesn't reflect the time we spend, you know, because right, it sounds right. good because it sounds good. And that's what happened to me with, with this book. I realized that I was saying this stuff was really important, but I was not spending my time doing it. So you mentioned earlier, like family is really important to me and I recognize. So you were saying family was important to you, for example, but you weren't reflecting that in your actions. Not as much as I would like to. Correct. Correct. Right. Okay. Yeah. And it, and it stinks to realize that. And it's even worse to try to make changes to that because it, it, you accept failure, you accept a weakness, and you try to move forward with that. I love but. that you say that because I tell people all the time, if there's something that I'm doing wrong, you have to tell me. Do I want to hear it? Oh, no, by no means do I want to hear it, but I can't fix it if I don't know about it. And Absolutely. so, yeah. So I guess talking a little bit about the project. Um, yes. I suppose that's why I'm on here, not to talk about what I know, I guess. The Cardboard Confessionals, it came from a drive down Brookings uh, in Brookings, South Dakota, on Main Avenue. And it was a big wall that was right on Main Avenue there. It said, before I die, I want to. And, uh, and there was a bunch of white lines and people wrote what they wanted to do before they died with sidewalk chalk. It's really cool. It really told the story of that community. And I went home and did some research on it. And it was a gal by the name of Candy Chang from New Orleans. And it turns out it's all over the world. There's 4,000 walls around the world, 72 different countries and 35 different languages. And I wondered by asking students these questions, okay, six through 12 students, what could we get to know? 
and the answers we received were unbelievable. Uh, what do you want to do before you die at a student right? Uh, save a life. And I think a lot of times we, we kind of put down, I don't want to say put down, but you, you kind of set aside students because you think, well, they're going to ruin society when they get older, you know, this generation. And there's kids in schools today that want to save lives. Um, and that's astounding because yeah. I'm guessing you never would have expected something like that. Not that deep. No, right. I didn't know. I didn't. When I did this project, I didn't know what to expect. About 85% of the kids really took it to heart. And some, like I said, another answer we had, um, what do you want to do before you die? Go a day without wanting to die. And um, that's tough. That's tough. And I strive to build relationships with students. And that one hurts knowing that that kid walked around every day thinking that. But the thing about it was, is it didn't make sense to me. You know, when kids would come down to the lunchroom, they would sit down and there's these little slips of paper, right? And we asked one question every day. What do you want to do before you die? What makes a meaningful life? What is something you've given up on? Define your life in six words. What do you think about when you're alone? And uh, the kids actually came up with the other ones. I cheated. I picked, what do you want to do before you die? I got the easy one. But the kids came up with the other ones. And they'd sat down with these little slips of paper, one question every day. And I... When you say the kids came up with it. So I, I don't know that we caught exactly, and maybe sure. I missed it. You were teaching sociology and you yeah. took this back to the sociology class you were teaching. Yep. Seven students. Yep. You're right. Thank you for that clarification. So it was a sociology class that did it. Seven students kind of ran the project. We would take the answers and discuss these, but we posed the questions to the entire student body. Yep. Awesome. Great. Yeah. I love this whole concept, everything that came of it. Yeah, it's it's been, like I said, it's been really cool, really eye-opening. Um, but these kids, they would, they'd come down and, and write what they ever, they had, and they were quiet. Kids are never quiet in the lunchroom. I mean, go in there one time, it's like your eardrums pop. <laughs> but I wondered why, why did that change with lunch like why did that change how they went about their day and then afterwards they'd come up and be like Mr. Reed what's the question tomorrow it's like what do you care for like this is just a prod you know and then you realize what it actually all meant the kids actually you know we're pulled in so many different directions students are we are like you got your professional life your personal life uh, expectations in the home and kids they've got parents they got coaches they got family friends they've got it all this was the one opportunity that kids sat down and for a few moments got to write what they wanted to. They were true to themselves with, with no judgment, right? They got to write whatever they wanted to, and there was no judgment placed on them. Um, I believe the project saved a life. That's why I'm so passionate about this. Uh, I go out and speak all the time, and it's because of that student. And it's all students, but that student really drives me. Absolutely. I can't even imagine the power and the pressure that that. So when you say, what was in, what's qu tomorrow's question? When this project ended, how disappointed were they? A little bit, a little bit. Um, what we did then, which I haven't really told anyone about this. Some of the kids might not even remember. We actually made a, a letter, like a newsletter involving some of the answers that we received and just having kids further think about it. I think it's really easy to reflect briefly, because that's what they did. They didn't really take the time to, to really think about it. But a lot of times we don't actually go back to that and dig into it. And by giving kids, and this happened for about a month, we'd give them about 10 answers that we received and just let them read it and just understand what their classmates, their colleagues, like their friends are dealing with. Because again, we we're all on, we could, we put ourselves on islands a lot and we kind of think about where we're at. And the first step to helping people is to understand what they're going through and appreciate their strength. And that's all, that's all some kids and that's all some people need. Right. Right. And knowing you're not alone. Yep. yep. The fact that somebody answered this question and I'm feeling the exact same way, or I'm thinking the exact same thing. Like you're not on that Island by yourself anymore. Absolutely. I love that. So take us now at what point when you said, this could be a book, and they're like, no, it can't. And you're like, mm -hmm. yes, it is. Is it at that moment that you went home and started writing the book about it? You know, I've always wanted to, just felt that I wasn't, or I don't want to say worthy, but just didn't feel like, what am I going to say? Like, what am I going to talk about? And I was always looking for that, something that I could kind of give my 
impression, my impact on, and still have a story behind it that like means something that impacts people. And when I hit it, when we started talking about it, I'm like, I think, I think this is it. I, I think this is what I want to take the next step with. And it just, it didn't feel like I was writing a book. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people ask me there because I've had probably 15, 20 people reach out and say, I really, really want to write a book. And the first question I ask them is why, why do you want to do that? And a lot of them are like, well, it's on my bucket list. And it's like, don't write it. It's going to suck. It's going to be terrible. Don't write it. Don't waste your time because it's the purpose, your why it's wrong. I mean, it's not, you don't cross things off bucket list. Go to Europe. If you want to cross things off a bucket list, like this has to come from somewhere and it has to help people. I don't care if you're writing fiction, nonfiction, it has to help people. I love that. I love yeah. the message behind, well, a lot of people say the, the, it's the message behind your mess. Mm-hmm. So like if you have gone through something or you, you experienced this great thing with your students and to share that story, how did they feel about you sharing the story in the book? You know, it was all anonymous um, right? that, you know, that we had some things going with lawyers behind the scenes to make sure that it was kosher being that it was anonymous and it, that it was not required. That opened up a lot of things, but they felt good. Geez, I didn't, you know, I was a little nervous about it right away because yeah, is it legal? Sure. But is it ethical? Right. You know, Great that, question. that definitely went through my head a lot. And um, then I realized that, that kids, I, I go out and speak to a lot of colleges, you know, and I talk to a lot of kids that participated in this. I actually have, I've hired a teacher now that participated in this project in high school, you know, so she's, teaching uh, class for me. And, you know, they, they come up and they say, like, we're talking about different things and stuff like that. And she'll open the book and be like, that's, that was mine. Um, and yeah, you realize though, in a small school, when you actually get the time, take the time to get to know people, you know what they wrote already. Right. I mean, you know, for the most part, like who is, who it is. So. Right. Well, and, and I wondered how many teachers were analyzing the handwriting or, and you talked about the student that said, I just want to go a day without wanting to die. Right. And what happened with that student? They handed you that, right? No, if I read so right it, in your book. No, it's it's a different one. And that's kind of oh. why I said this saved no good. I'm glad, glad you brought that up. You know, I had a student that came up to me on the first on the third day. What is something you've given up on? Right. And we had everything cleaned up, everything ready to go. I went back to my office and the student, um, you know, then I went bell rang, was given high fives and stuff pre-COVID, of course. And um, I had the student come up and tap on my shoulder. And I looked at him and they gave me the slip of paper. And I was like instantly irritated because my teacher's like, my teacher voice is like, you got to follow the directions. It was supposed to go in the box at lunch, right? But I look at her and she's terrified, just absolutely terrified. And I go into the room and for a moment, I wasn't going to open it because that's the beauty of this project is that it was anonymous, but she needed she needed some help. I opened it up and said, uh, what is something you've given up on? Uh, The slip of paper said my life, I've got a plan. I'm going to commit suicide. And um, I turned it over to the counselor. She did a fantastic job. And she came up to me three days later and thanked me. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Thank me. I want to thank you, right? She did one of the toughest things a person can do. And one of the deepest, darkest holes a person can be in. That's ask for help. Right. Because because society does not encourage us to ask for help. It's actually the opposite. This is against what you're doing right now is against society. You don't need this. It's self-help. What do you need this for? You got to do it on your own. That's why anxiety, that's why mental health is at an all-time high depression. I mean, people internalize that stuff and because they don't want to ask for help because you're weak, right? Exactly. It's not the way it is. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, it's not the way it is at all. And it's, it takes time to overcome that. Right. You know, it takes time to overcome that. It's just like dieting. I mean, it's the same thing. It's like, finally, you jump on it and you feel good about yourself. What you're, you don't need to die. You know, it's, it's all, it's tough. It's tough. Right. What were some of your favorite answers? Jeez. I mean, as far as favorite goes, I mean, they were also cool. Or most impactful. Yeah. I would say that's probably better because all of them were like, go to Europe and different things. Most impactful. One of them was, uh, I had a student write, what is something that's misunderstood about you? And I, uh, the student write that my addiction defines my character. 
Now I got the story because I know these people that write this a majority of them. I I've reached out to her a handful of times and I've not spoken to her since high school. Um, she, she wrote that um, this student on Sunday before school, you know, just before the week started, went to go see her mom in prison and mom told her we're cutting ties. I, you do not need to come back here. You're we're, we're done. She came on Monday and overdosed on drugs. I had to run, rush her to the emergency room, you know, and she's a sweetheart. She's actually one of the strongest people I know. And again, I'd love to connect with her and see where she's at today. But at that time was one of the strongest people I knew. But that one lull, you know, that one struggle that she had. And now that is what the kids remember her by. So like that answer that my addiction defines my character. It's like, you're absolutely right. It does. And it shouldn't because she's the strongest person I know. Right. You know, I had powerful. I want, I want to share another one because it's, it's, I'm, I, like I said, I, I love talking about this. I had another student write, what do you want to do before you die? They said to have a kid and to adopt a kid. And I'm thinking like, what a weird dream. What, what a particular dream for a middle school or high school kid, right? Right. Until you understand where this kid's coming from. Uh, the student was adopted and they wanted to adopt a student or a, a person, a kid, because it saved their life. Right. Yes. And they wanted to have a kid because every day they saw, they saw how much that hurt their mom and dad that they couldn't have a kid. So they wanted to have a kid for their, their mom and dad, you know? Yeah. So it's, I think we do that a lot, like with books, like I, I, it's such a neat, uh, simple comparison, right? We look at the cover, we flip it over sometimes and, uh, look at the back, but we don't worry about the pages between and that's like that's where the stories are that's like that's like the true meaning of people and we just don't take the time to to do that we really don't what was the impact that this book had on your teachers or this project not the book itself but the project well it's kind of interesting there were some things that that went on you know i i'd applied for a job and didn't get it i was young applying for a superintendent job the better guy got it the better guy got it and he's he's still there he's doing a great job but that, that, that hurts, like failing stinks, you know what I mean? And so I was writing, you know, doing that, trying to move through that and writing was very peaceful for me, but I ended up leaving that year. So it didn't get published till I was at a different school. Oh, wow. Um, so it was cool, but it, it kind of stunk at the same time too. Cause I didn't get to enjoy because the teachers did this too. They were in like kind of a different thing, but some of the answers they had were so cool. So cool. But they didn't make the book, but I just wanted them to participate. And yeah, I get a lot of encouragement, a lot of support from, from those folks. And yeah, it's been, it's been cool. So what mementos besides the book do you have? Like, do you still have all the pieces of paper that they wrote on? You know, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to kind of make a comment on that. You know, you said teachers and people would kind of, uh, uh, you know, pick out the handwriting. So what I did actually every day is I took every slip of paper, typed it in an Excel sheet and threw it away because it needed to be super anonymous. So no, I don't have any of those. I go out to students and depending on, you know, the, the age and things like that, I actually have them do the project. So I'll ask uh, a question and then just actually have the school answer it. So what is something you want to do before you die? And all the kids take a post-it note and turn it in. So it's kind of what I got. I don't really have anything other than the book that other yeah. than the book, you say that. Yeah. So like, eh, you know, other than the book, that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> but it's, but to me, it's just, it's not, it got, it got me through. And maybe that's why it went so well. Right. Um, because I didn't like put it on a pedestal and be like yeah, a book, you know, it's just something that. Because it came from the heart. It was. Yeah, it, it did. And it was, yeah, it was super easy. And yeah, I mean, the, the process was stressful because I wanted it to be good and the kids deserved it in that class and the kids in school deserved that it needed to be good for them. But uh, yeah, it was just, it is, I kind of blow it off because it's just whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty big, whatever. Because yeah, yeah. I, just reading some of it, you know, you were talking about what do you want to be remembered for? And this is a, this is a pretty impressive legacy. And that was one of your questions, or you were talking about legacy in the book. 
and what legacy means. And go ahead. Yeah. uh, What makes a meaningful life leaving a legacy, you know, and I share, so, you know, in my big spiel, I I share a a story of a guy that I knew and kind of how he taught me a lot about legacy. You know, I think a lot of us strive to, to accomplish all these things and, you know, cross things off the bucket list. Cause really that's what the, the dictionary definition says. And he taught me it has nothing to do with that. You know, he ended up passing away at the age of 21, a rare form of cancer took him quick. And he taught me it has nothing to do with quantity and all to do about quality. Amen. You know, and simply because those moments, every time he spent with you, he's present. Like you don't know a lot of people that are like that, that you're talked to all the time. And it's like, holy smokes, they are invested in what I'm saying right now. And he was like that. Like I felt cared about and he was just 20 years old. So it's pretty cool. That's impressive. Who do you have mentors that you've had in your life? And if so, did they know they were your mentor? (laughs) Yeah, good question. I actually do this program right now setting goals I got to be better at that I think I just kind of go by the seat of my pants sometimes and it works out pretty well sometimes but you get lost a lot but one of them is to find a mentor like a defined mentor and I've had people along the way now that I look back on it for my wife you know and I think that's really cheesy to say a lot of people say that like my parents my wife Um, that's impressive to say yeah yeah. yeah. and I, I don't think I tell her enough I think she knows I don't know we'll find out maybe I'll ask her tonight if she knows There you go. But she, her and I started dating in high school. We both went to Northwestern High School, South of Aberdeen, South Dakota. And she was a sophomore and I was a junior. And she provided a lot of stability, you know, to me and continued on with that. We dated ever since. And yeah, she just, my my values and stuff in our, yeah. Because I don't want to just say that we like came together and built, like we grew up together. Because right. I don't think I did a lot of growing up until I, you know, I was kind of. And she's still stuck with you. Yeah, I can't believe that. Don't, <laughs> yeah, don't tell her what else is out there. She might go find something, I guess. But her, and I'd say VJ Smith. Have you guys ever uh, read the book, The Richest Man in Town? Yes. And I've heard him speak and he oh, is, he's good. that's yeah. such a great story. He's good. He talks about a guy uh, from Walmart that he met, Marty, who just takes the time, mm-hmm. does the little things right. It's It's a super cool book check it out. But he, he spoke to me in high school. Um, I don't know if Blaine would have been in, did Frederick have, Frederick had FBLA or Leola did. Leola, Leola did. did. Yeah. So we did, he spoke to us at Future Business Leaders of America and I reached out to him to get him to speak a couple of times in Waverly and then told him about a book. He was definitely a mentor and I'd even consider him a friend. I mean, he just, he's one of those guys. He speaks on our podcast, The Little Things. It's a podcast that me and a buddy do. He actually was a guest speaker and just, it's like, no wonder why you're successful. I mean, just listen to how you're answering these questions. He's amazing. Yeah, yeah. really is. It, very inspirational. The project that you did with this class, is it, I, I'm assuming since you're a superintendent, you don't still teach or do you? Well, surprisingly, yeah, I do. We, we had a few teachers, we had some turnover this year, so I had to take a social, a social studies class, uh, seventh grade. Things are going about a million miles an hour. But, uh, geez, I, I miss the classroom. Um, I get there teaching and it's like, this is a lot of fun. I think it's um, awesome. You're in the classroom because yeah. sometimes I think it's easy to forget oh, absolutely. what it's like. And you have, a, I, I'm assuming more respect from your staff right. when you can feel and understand firsthand what they're going through. And right. there's a lot more empathy for, especially right now right. with COVID and recognizing you're dealing with stress as an administrator as well, but seeing firsthand what the teachers are going through is, is impressive. Yeah. And we, we do a career internship class. I've actually taught, taught that every year. Um, it's not, it's one of those classes you give, give a syllabus, you lecture on Monday, everything's due Friday, uh, pretty independent for the most part, but yeah, it's just for that. Um, you know, so does in, that mean the cardboard confessional program? Is it a program? Does it, it does it still exist anywhere or in your former school where it, this took place? It sure should. You know, when I go out and speak, I get a lot of teachers that are part of that and uh, reach out for, and ask for the questions. And I encourage it. I've 
started a, a few teacher like in services and they'll go and do that with their staff and just kind of speak as kind of the start of it or the end of that project. So I'd say probably yearly, I might get three schools that'll do it. Right. Um, and they'll come up with more questions. They use my seven and, and do some more. And I had uh, someone reach out and they wanted to actually do it in the Sioux Falls jail, which I think would have been very, very interesting. That would have been really cool to see. Right. Yeah. And yeah, even they want to make a difference. Even they want to change for their lives and probably more so than anybody. Yeah. And I, you know, I start working, I'm working on my dissertation right now. So my time's pretty sucked, but um, you know, I, I started kind of drafting a new book and it was cardboard confessionals parents and Holy smokes. Did we get some, I mean, I've got all the answers I've got them. It's just now sitting down and writing. But, so how did you get those answers? You know, that was a lot more like a social media survey monkey, things like that. We got about 150 people that uh, participated. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's exciting. It It is. I, you know, I almost, I don't know. I'm in between things. I always am though. Um, it, it's tough for me. I got a, I got a six-year-old just turned six and a two-year-old, you know, I, I know the ins and outs of parenting at that level, but I, I don't have a teenager. <laughs> and I've heard great things about having teenagers, you know, you know so yeah, I, I don't know if I can fully give that book what it needs to at this time, but I, I think it's something I've got to entertain later on. You know, I think as a parent of past teenagers, because mine are grown, I think it is two different books, but I think your perspective now as a <laughs> BT before teens and after teens would be another great, like you could do two books out of it sure. because I sure. think your perspective totally changes. And a lot of times you think, you know, I got, I got kids, I can handle this. And you think you're prepared for it. <laughs> and then reality comes and so many situations that you had no idea. And so I think that's not such a dumb idea to still proceed with the book and just, you didn't ask for my advice, but <laughs> I just gave it to you. Well, and I would enjoy writing it. I mean, it's, yeah, once we get this, you know, next step out of the way, who knows? We'll see. Absolutely. So for somebody out there who is looking to write a book, I know you've kind of even given tips just by saying, if you, if you're just writing a book to write a book, don't. Right. So what are your tips out there for somebody who wants to write a book? The first question you got to ask yourself is, is why? Um, kind of sharing a little bit where I come from. You know, people always ask, why am I in education? You know, and the easy answer is the kids, right? And I tell teachers, like, I, I do a session on this, is know your why. And it's really easy to say, oh, the kids. Or why do you start a family? Oh, to, to leave a legacy, right? No, it, need, it needs to be deeper than that. Like, so the reason I, the reason I am in education, the reason I run a school, when I was in high school, I loved high school. I loved everything about it. I loved the support we got, the people that would just cheer for you to succeed. I'm, I'm one of those. Now I understand that not all kids are like that and they don't have that same experience. But what I got into education is I want to try my best to give every kid that opportunity. And every time I wake up, Every time I get into the building, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. So when a parent comes and just starts unloading on me, it's like, no, nope, this is why I'm doing it. And things are going to get in the way. Same thing with a book. My why, obviously, because I wanted to prove kids wrong, but there's more to that. I had a foreign exchange student from Spain. Real cool kid. Really cool. Really added a dynamic to the class. He was in your sociology class yeah, where this project took place. One of the seven students. Yep. Okay. And... I thought, how cool would that be for him to take a token from his experience in America? And it was a book, you know, and like, this is what I did in my class in America. And then everyone in Spain was going to think, wow, they all write books in their classes. That's odd. But wow. uh, Mitch, yeah. we had a foreign exchange student from Spain and you're making me feel really inadequate as yeah. a host family because yeah. I think all I gave her was a photo album, if that, and it was probably digital. So. Actually, one thing he's going to remember more than the book is um, I asked him, like, what is one thing you miss about home the most? And he said, well, the, you know, the candy, the, the food. 
I said, what's your favorite? And they, they were these suckers. They're called Chupa Chups. They look like, and you've had them before. You've seen them before. I know you have. Um, they were popular when I was growing up. And um, yeah, I ordered a, a 60 pack of Chupa Chups. And man, did we slam those things in a couple classes. And they, <laughs> I mean, you could see, it was like an old man just back there, just, you know, just looking back on his life. He was eating a sucker, just like, just soaking it in. It was so cool. That's so funny. The visual memory, it's as if I, I mean, even as you describe it, I can picture him sitting there and I have no idea what he looks like. So yeah, that's yeah, he's a cool nice kid. visuals. He's a cool kid. Love that. <laughs> I had asked about the teachers and how this impacted your staff. Mm-hmm. And I, do you have any stories that relate back to, to that specifically and what their biggest takeaways were? Again, you know, we didn't really have too many, like, uh, my former kindergarten teacher, I was the principal. She was a kindergarten teacher. She wrote the foreword in the book. She had a, a, a child uh, that had some special needs and uh, really gravitated towards me. And I just thought she was the neatest kid in the world. And I, it meant a lot to her. What she needs to realize is I wasn't doing it because like it looked good or anything like that. I truly enjoyed my time with her taught me a lot about life, blessings in our life, appreciating the things we have. And just the way she went about it was so cool. She's such a cool kid too. And um, so, yeah, I guess impact that would definitely her. One thing I found was I put an email in this book and a lot, a lot of people reach out and they continue to um, on something they might connect with in the book. And I had a staff member that did that. One of the students wrote, uh, what is something you've given up on uh, my dad? And the staff member kind of shared their story and uh, basically believed in the dad, was the greatest dad, was an even better grandpa until a few years prior to that, found out that the dad uh, had been sexually abusing her oldest daughter. And what we realize is that these people are all around us that are dealing with these things and, and coming to work and right and going to the gym and going to Walmart and going to a ball game just to be able to do that's huge. Right. Uh, Their strength is. And what I've realized is that everyone needs a little something different. Some people just want like that staff member, all they wanted to do is share it with someone. They had some connection. They felt some connection to this. They just wanted to share it. Other people, they want more. I had a conversation with a guy for about two and a half hours, came to my office. I don't, I didn't even know he knew I worked here. Sat down and we just talked. And it was about things and it's, you know, that, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing it for. Right. You know, and it's, it's been cool. So the impact is, is lasting. I hope it continues to last. I think as word spreading, <clears throat> even how do I get a copy of this book I'm seeing? Yeah. And I, I was talking to somebody else today and they said, you know, I give that as a graduation gift to every one of the graduates that I get an invitation from. Sure. That's and it cool. is. What a great piece of advice. Well, yeah. many great pieces of advice that are well, in that you. book. Thank you. So, so what kind of advice do you have for parents after reading this or writing this or seeing what the kids wrote? It's twofold. We see a lot of different parents. We see they come from different ways. Some of them are helicopters, right? And they're they're making sure that their kid never fails. And others are not non-existent. And what I would say with parents is like, you're going to make mistakes. I mean, holy smokes, you're going to make mistakes. But how, how are you going to, to learn from them? How are you going to not make the same mistake twice? And holy smokes, sit your kid down and have conversations with them. You know, we talk growing up, my parents did a good job. Like, I mean, they, 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 they did what they could. And I appreciate them for that. But we never, and like a lot of parents, we never talked about things that like were serious you know, like money. I didn't, I just learned by going. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, that's great. You know, who told me that? Um, and just, and just things like that. We just never had conversations like sit down because guess what? If parents, if you're not having your conversations, if you're not having these conversations with your kids, who is, who's teaching them? It's not, if it's not you, who is it? And that's scary. That's a good point. (laughs) Like who's teaching them because they're going to learn. And if it's not from you, who knows who it is? Yeah, it's scary how many things my kids learned on the school bus. 
Right. And, you know, but that that's another thing, too. And people say that all the time. And it's like, well, I mean, I yeah, do I wish I could sit on the school bus and monitor that? Because there are some things that go down. But what you can teach your kids is that some of this stuff is muck. It's garbage. It's mud. It's going to bog you down. Right. You know, and those are the kind of things I think it's really easy for parents to see their kids struggling and try to deal with. It. OK, my kid had a terrible day on the bus. I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to go talk to this person. and where's the teaching part of this? Right. You know, I'm saying that, yeah, I want to know if things are going wrong on the bus and I want to help you, but there needs to be some teaching in between. Yeah. You know? I, yeah. I'm guilty of that. Like I'm going to go right, go right to so you and fix this for me, Mitch. So am I, I am yeah. too. I'm with you. I am too. Having those difficult conversations, it's tough to do you and here's maybe where the before book and the after book is going to be more impactful and it's easy to sit here. But do you have advice on how to even have those conversations? There needs to be some pre-work done. I think a lot of times something big happens and we go to try to have a conversation and this kid's like, hold up. We haven't talked like this. We've never done this before. I think you've got to be open and honest about it right away. And now someone that's, you know, got teenagers and stuff is like, well, oh, I'm stuck. You know, it's got, it's gradual. It's gradual. You got to build that relationship. You got to know that your kid or your kids got to know you're, they're cared for and that you're going to have their back at all times. And you're not going to be a friend to them. That's not our jobs, but to, to just understand and be vulnerable with your kids. We don't do that. We don't. And I see it all the time that these kids are learning these lessons from, the best teachers are the ones that are vulnerable. I mean, plain and simple, they're the ones that are going to share, they're going to reach out and they're going to be vulnerable with their kids. And the kids see that, you know, the I, kids are going to see if parents are vulnerable. And a lot of them, we struggle to do that. I love that you say that because it's no wonder that our kids hide stuff from us or don't tell us what's going on because we aren't sharing what's we're struggling with and what's going on in our life. And I've, mm -hmm. I've probably been more vulnerable as an adult parent with my kids in the last couple of years than I've ever been. And I, they do, they feel more connected and it's easier for them to understand why I do some of the things I do or why I say some of the things I say. And I think it's helped us grow closer in a number of ways. And I appreciate that advice. And I, I didn't think about it. You know, we say that oftentimes in social media, if you want to connect to people to be vulnerable, but I, why I didn't think, duh, that also applies to, to kids and parents and that relationship as well. And that's huge. And yeah, it's, I go and do it. I'm vulnerable with my kids like that. I teach even I teach that career internship class. I have no problem throwing up things with my like, insurance. you know, cause we go through that stuff. We teach about life insurance, health insurance. I throw it right up there. But my parents, that was like the, the buried treasure map, you know, I'm not showing them that no way. I'm not doing it. Right. Like, if you're not going to show me, then who is? <laughs> like, well, and not only that, but you sit there and you say, well, we can't afford that. And they don't understand what does that mean? And how can you explain that in terms if you show them the numbers, then that makes sense to them. I, that's a really great example. Right. And I just think some, sometimes we, when our kids are hurt, like, and I, and I see that not when parents come and they talk to me, I understand where you're coming from. It stinks to see your kids hurt. I, it's, it's horrible. And I'm sorry they're feeling that way. I'm not excited about them going home and being miserable. That doesn't, you know, get me out of bed the next morning, but it's like, how are you going to yeah, come tell me. Let's fix things on this side of things. But what are you doing at home to to build that strength, that courage, that you know, that self image? Because we're we're missing that. And it, I'm just speaking in general. You know, my community that we have, our our parents are supportive. The kids are awesome. We live in a great community. You know, it, it's been a really nice thing. I'm just starting my fourth year and I, I couldn't ask for a better place to be. It's a good community. And they, they do some things like that. You know, they're, they're doing some of this, this teaching at home and it's really cool to see. Okay. So I love that you say that small towns, oftentimes, especially really small towns, like where our kids went in these rural areas, the school is the center of the community and everything in the community revolves around the school. And you said the, the school is 
helping to bring those conversations home. How is that happening and how is that being facilitated or is it not necessarily in a formal way? You know, I've had a a really good conversation with a board member last week about this stuff uh, and about what teachers do and, and, and different things like that and the building of relationships. And a lot of this stuff comes home when people have someone at school that they trust, that they have these conversations with. I mean, really, that's what I got into education for. I mean, I pick social studies. I like it. I'm okay at it. Um, to be honest with you, I got into it to coach, which I realized mm, the only reason I like coaching is because you get kids when they're vulnerable. Like, you know, when they're sitting in social studies class, for the most part, they're not very vulnerable. Right. But when they're out on the court and maybe they're, I don't want to say inadequate, but when they're not able to compete, like you see them in a raw state and you get to like work with them in that. Yeah. Even but, the best athletes who have a yeah, bad game absolutely. or a bad day get vulnerable and it's the best way to reach a kid. But that's where it's at is those relationships. When those relationships are built and I, and I tell, you know, we have a great staff here in Florence and they all have different strengths. I think a lot of times everyone, you know, cause we have a good teacher that is a great, great math teacher, right? She's awesome, but I don't want everyone like her. Like I want, cause yeah, there's a lot of kids that gravitate towards her and build good relationships, but there's some that don't. And she's so great. She, she understands that. Like she understands that she's not going to do that. So I've got other high school teachers that compliment other things. And it's like, these kids go to this one. These kids go to that one. And it's so, so cool to see. Symbiotic balance. It is. And I, I don't probably tell my staff that enough. And I, you know, elementary is a little different because you just have 25 kids, you know, you have 20 kids all year long where other kids in middle school, high school go to different teachers. But that's, that's what we're seeing right now. And it's really cool to see after school, what kids are in what rooms and stuff like that. And it's like, that's when these conversations start going home. Right. It, it really is. It's when that kid feels comfortable with someone other than someone in the household where some of that stuff starts going back and forth. And that is important for them to have somebody outside the the household that they can go to. And parents shouldn't expect to be that only person because who are they going to talk to when they aren't, <laughs> they're mad at their parents. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I really appreciate your time and commitment to what you're doing and your passion for this project and for your students. Mm-hmm. Where can people find the book if they want to buy it? Yeah, it's on uh, Amazon dot com confessionals there's one actually in aberdeen uh, market on the plaza sells it it's in a few spots if you're looking for uh, ebooks it's in barnes and noble excuse me so yeah it's kind of all over the place we do a podcast too i know uh chris you've got one going on too i'm gonna have to check that out but we do it called the little things and actually each episode is one of the answers in the book so that's how it's all you know and then after every chapter we bring in a guest speaker you never had really, really good luck with that. It's, but again, you, you talk about know your why. I don't do that just to do a podcast. Like me and a buddy met in college or we're good friends. Well, we lost touch. We didn't talk to each other for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, I want to build a relationship with this guy. So we do a podcast. So every time I get on, it's not to talk about this stuff. It's to continue building my relationship with this guy. And it gets you there. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. had he read your book? Yep. Yeah. And he's actually doing a lot of what, what I'm doing now too. He had a book just come out. He's had, he's wrote two books, seven days gratitude challenge, and then why it's important to fail. And he does a blog and he's a pretty impressive guy. Jake Nealon's his name, but if you check out uh, the podcast, you'll get all his credentials. I did check out a couple episodes, which is mm-hmm. how I even knew you did a podcast. So, but I couldn't remember his name. So I'm sure. glad you put a plug in yeah. for him as well. So Any final parting words that you'd want to share for this Wisdom Wednesday? Yeah, I mean, reach out to people. I I think, you know, and take advantage of these times. Don't don't allow the word busy to get in your way. Busy is a mindset. It really is. You're only as busy as you think you are. Take time to do this stuff. It's important. I know you got family. I know you got friends. You got your jobs. You got things going on. But it, we just got to take a step back and, and prioritize things, look at where we're at, grow together, because it's a heck of a lot easier than growing by yourself. So don't, don't let these things go by the wayside. They're too valuable. And most of the time when you realize that you need that in your life, it's almost too late. 
you're in a deep hole. So do that uh, self-care before you need it. You know what I mean? So yeah, thanks for having me on. This has been great. Yes. Thank you so much. And I'll let you go so you can finish doing the football field before it gets dark. So thank you again so much for your time. I hope you found some great nuggets of gold here with Mitch. Here are my top quick takeaways. Walk the talk of your priorities. If you say something is important to you, show it. Number two, if you want an easy, quick way to make an impact on someone, be present and just listen. Number three, always know your why. If you're doing something just because you want to, it likely won't make the impact you had hoped. But if you're doing something because it makes a difference, it helps someone or it serves others, you're pretty likely it's going to succeed. And number four, parents and adults out there listening, talk to your kids and be vulnerable. You'll have much better conversations and you're going to connect so much better than you even imagined. And lastly, number five, be open to the unexpected and amazing things that can happen from trying something new. If you'd like to reach out with questions about the book or this project, you can email Mitch directly at cardboardconfessionals at gmail.com. He'd love to hear from you. And if you liked this or other episodes of this podcast, I hope you'll follow along on this journey and perhaps give a good review and comment your favorite takeaways. Comments and reviews help others find podcasts like this. This podcast is sponsored by Rural Gold Consulting, helping rural businesses and organizations mine their gold through website design, search engine optimization, and personal and business coaching. Check them out at ruralgold.com. Some of the interviews from this podcast take place in a group coaching membership program called The Gold Miners, where some weeks we hear and learn from rural success stories. There's speakers like this one, that share their story of mining for their gold, looking for the good that can come out of the mud and the muck of life and business and using that gold to propel them forward to success. Other weeks, we talk about and learn tools to practice mining for our own personal gold. If you'd like to learn more about this and other coaching opportunities, check out beagoldminer.com. Have a great day and don't forget, Mine your gold and make a difference.